Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Will you pray? Most holy God, we lift our hearts up to you in the prayer today. We praise your holy name, the name above all other names, and give glory to you, our Lord, our God and King. For you have poured out your Holy Spirit on us, and so we endeavor always to obey you and live our light so that we shine brightly for you. As your children, we desire to bring honor and glory to you so that the world can see you through our actions, our thoughts, and our words. We pray continually for your wisdom, strength, and guidance in all things so that we may become more like Christ in everything we do. Lord, we pray today for those around us, for your children whom you love so dearly. We lift up in prayer our families, our friends, our neighbors, and community. We lift up the work that you're doing in this church, and we pray that you, we will continue to follow your vision in all that we are doing in your name. We pray, O oh God, for Pastor Keith, who in just a moment will come forward to share your word. We ask that your power, your presence, and your message might be upon him. Lord, all these things we lift up in prayer, and we also offer the prayers that are spoken silently in our heart. And we do this in the name of your Son, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Well, good morning. He is risen. Amen. Amen. So glad that you're here today to worship the Lord with us. And, and it's just an awesome thing to come together and praise God. And I want to thank all of you for, um, especially those for being here, but for those of you that went downstairs and ate breakfast earlier to help our, our puppeteers go to a competition in St. Louis uh, in a couple weeks, we're, we're, we're thankful to all of you who've helped make that possible. They're going to have a great time. And, and uh, as we move into that, you know, God's just been doing some amazing things around here, and it's so neat to see him working. And Pastor Mike likes to talk a lot sometimes about how he gets different emails and correspondence, and that, that does happen in the church, where people like to uh, send us their <coughs> encouragements and suggestions um, to, to help us be better at our jobs. We, we look forward to those and appreciate them. Well, I, I received one the other day that was, it, it stirred something within me, and I thought I would share it with you today as we move into this scripture uh, from Philippians. And here's Here's what it says. After a little bit of an introduction, it says, here's what I'm proposing. And this is to me. Pick a Monday to start our 90-day P90X challenge. 
I have all the necessary equipment and DVDs. We will work out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 a.m. until 5.45 a.m. in my garage. If we start this coming Monday, our 90th day will be sometime around the middle of June. Let me know what you think. Don't feel any obligation. I know your schedule and morning devotions are such that this might not work, but I wanted to throw this out to you. You work out, right? I mean, let's be real. You work out? See, I, I don't. And I mentioned that to the wrong person and kind of did the whole, well, I know I need to kind of do that. I know I need to start. And this is what was the result. Somebody's calling me out on this, right? And, and now I'm faced with this dilemma, you see, of, of am I willing to put my, my money where my mouth is in terms of, of uh, the outward expression of my inward desire to be more healthy. And, and, and that came to mind this week as I was looking at this text from, from Philippians because, in essence, this is spiritually what Paul is calling Christians to uh, consider when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to talk about that this morning because when it comes to our faith, Indeed, we are called to work out. And I know at first, it, when, when it comes to the world of exercise, it's, it's tough, isn't it? We, like, we rebel against that. We, we want to just sleep in. We don't want to do what we have to do. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to get into that because we know we're going to be sore. We know we're going to have problems. We know there's going to be fear and trembling. But yet, once we get in the midst of that, things can change for us and we can reap the results. And, and that's really what I wanted to talk to you about this morning because in our scripture text, Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we see clearly that there's a work out and there's a work in. And the first element of working out falls on us, doesn't it? I mean, Paul writes to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But what does that mean to work it out? Well, basically it means this. We can't just sit around and wait for something to happen. We can't just sit back and, and hope that our, our process of growing in grace and becoming more like Jesus and, and being more, uh, uh, more of a holy living person is going to just happen to us. We've got to actually do something. We can't just expect the mission and vision of God for our church to come to fruition if we aren't willing to work it out, right? Paul says you've got to do something. And, and he adds that with fear and trembling thing. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Why does he do that? Does, does, does Paul want us to approach our faith as though we're scared? Well, I, I think that really what he's trying to say to us is this is something that you're to take very seriously. Very seriously. There's some things in life that require the utmost seriousness because of the amount of sacrifice, the amount of work and, and discipline and, and, and hard work it's going to require. But nevertheless, he says we're to do it. We're, we're to take it seriously. Paul would say, you know, and, and there are certainly instances where we understand what that looks like because we're to be proactive. It means that we recognize our salvation has something to do with us, that we play a part in how it works out. Now, you can understand what I'm talking about because there are many things in life that require you to have that sort of fear and trembling attitude when you get into them because you know they're going to be serious. Anything from, from some kind of exercise regiment, which I know if I get involved in, there'll be trembling because I'll be so sore and out of shape, and, and there'll be fear because I know that when I come in and I'm shaking like this, Pastor Mike's going to make some comments to me, right? He'll be like, oh, come on, Keith, put your man pants on. He'll be like, quit being such a baby, right? Yeah, sounds about right. And, and he'd be right. 
But anything from, you know, going to the doctor or the dentist, that causes fear and troubling in some people, right? But they know they got to do it. Maybe it's a conversation with a family member you need to have, but you know it's not going to go well, but you know you got to do it. For some of you, it might be a, a project around the house that you look at this project. Have you ever done a project where you looked at it and went, this is going to require a lot of trips to Menards and, and, and much more time than I'm willing to give it, and it's going to be a disaster. And you know when you rip into that wall, guys, you're going to find some disaster back there. We, we came into a, to a situation in, in, where we used to live where we had a 150-year-old house, all right? And when we moved into this house, it was so falling apart, we couldn't even live in it right away until the electrician came in and gave it all new wiring, and none of the walls stood straight, and none of the floors were level, and, and, and it had one bathroom in this house, and it was a disaster. And we had worked our way around it, remodeling it, and when it came time to do the bathroom, bathroom uh, Stella and I definitely had some fear and trembling issues getting into that, because I knew that as soon as I put that hammer through that wall, I was going to find nothing but ugliness, and I was right. Mold, drywall that was destroyed, uh, uh, two-by-fours that were covered in all kinds of nastiness and plumbing that was leaking behind the walls, all sorts of disaster. But it was time to work it out, you see. I had to get it done. We had to work hard. So we, we, with fear and trembling, began the process. And I remember, you know, one particular instance with that where, you know, I was, I was plumbing the drain from underneath the tub and I had to knock a hole in the wall so I could have access to it. So I'd climb on this ladder on the staircase and be working through all this stuff. And I got the drain all plumbed, and I, I needed to make sure it was going to be dry, that there were no leaks, right? So, so what do you have to do? You have to clear everything out. You have to make sure it's totally dry. You have to make sure it's every, everything's quiet. And then when you run some water through, you can hear it and see. So I had the paper towels all laid out to see if there were any drips. And everybody in the house, quiet! And Stella standing with a bucket, ready to put some water, you know, gently down the drain so I could see if it would flow, you know, appropriately. So right about the time I had everybody where they were supposed to be, I had everybody quiet, everything ready to go. It's probably 10.30 at night. I'm tired. I'm ready for this to be over. It hadn't worked about four or five times. I say to Stella, okay, dump it. At which time she proceeded to, instead of dumping it down the drain, dump it on my head. And then she looked at me and said, does it leak? <laughs> yeah. Fear and trembling indeed, right? Lack of fear and trembling on her part, obviously. You know, you got to work it out, but, but before you can go to all the working out of anything that you're trying to do, something has to first work in you, right? And that's exactly what Paul is telling this church at Philippians. He's saying when it comes to your salvation, you're the one that has to work it out. But before you can do that, there's one who must work it in. And that one is God. God must work in you so that you can become a Christian, so that you can believe. You see, what we mean by this is simply that God is the one who initiates our salvation. God is the one who does the work in us, which allows us to then work it out. We don't save ourselves to become Christians. We don't begin that work within us that comes to know who God is and comes to obey and submit our lives to God. That is an act of God. Paul would, would, would write to the Ephesians. He, he, he wrote these words. He says, as you, as for you, and he's writing, understand, he's writing this to believers. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. 
Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, before you believed in Christ, the spirit that was at work within you was your flesh. The spirit that was at work within you was your sinful nature. And until you came to a place where you knew Christ, then you were worked in by evil and by sin. It's only through the grace of God that any of us have the ability to even know who God is. And us Methodists, we have a term for that we call prevenient grace, which means the grace that God gives to us that we might understand who God is and that we might be able to come to God with repentance for our sins. But that's not because we just woke up one day and decided we wanted to become Christians. It's because God opened the door to our lives and to our eyes and showed us who he was. Remember, Jesus in John 6 said to the people, he said, no one can come to, the, can come to me unless the Father draws him. That drawing to Christ is the work of God. It's not because we were so great that he had to have us. It's because of the grace that he gave to us. So truly, God is the one who works within us, allowing us to believe, allowing us to come to know him. But we must respond and then let that work out of us. And that's where a lot of people stumble. Because many people think that being a Christian is about what you do. It's about the working out, and they leave out the working in. If I just go to church enough, if I live my life a certain way, if I follow the rules, if I'm nice to people, if all of those things line up, then, then, then I can be a good Christian. And I'm just trying real hard to be a good Christian. Let me tell you something. You don't try to be a good Christian. God makes you a Christian through the faith that is expressed as an act of his grace. You are adopted as sons and daughters into his family. You can be a, 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 a disobedient Christian. You can be a Christian who hasn't experienced this working out yet, but, but make no mistake about it. That is the result of your faith, not the cause of it. See, God's Spirit, once you respond, now becomes the driving force in your life. No longer are you, are you worked in by your sin and by, by evil, but now you're worked in by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and soon you begin to see things change. This was the process that had begun for the Philippians. They had already received the work of the Spirit in their lives as Paul had, had spoken to them in the first chapter of Philippians and they were experiencing the goodness of God and the grace and he was encouraged by them. Now he's saying, look, you've had that working in. Now it's time for it to work out. But make no mistake, that happens as a result of God's grace. And, and, and here's what happened. As the, as the Philippian church could no longer just sit back and watch, they got in the game. They expressed their salvation, and amazing things happened. But first, they, like us, needed to respond to what God had done in them by working it out of them. Now, what does that look like? There, there are two components to working it out that Paul lists. 
there is the will and there is the work. Okay? The will is what you want to do, what your desire is to do. That's the will. Now, here's where this is important that you understand. You see, God's Spirit doesn't just change, ultimately, what we do. The Spirit of God has the power to change our very will. And this is, this is incredibly important that you understand the difference. Because being a Christian is not about willpower, okay? Being a Christian is about will transformation. I, I, I don't know where I heard that or read that. So I couldn't find it, so I just quoted it to myself. <laughs> I'm sure someone much smarter than I came up with that, but I don't know who it is, so we'll just go with me. Uh, anyway, the idea being, because Mike and I know there's nothing new under the sun, right? Anything great that, that, that you put on Twitter that we said, we just heard it from somebody else, right? So understand this. In and of ourselves, our willpower doesn't get it done. Too many, too many people think that being a Christian is about having this supernatural willpower and God will give you the ability to be strong and God will give you the ability to, to fight against the devil and you'll have all this willpower in your life and, and you might have been addicted to this or struggle with that, but when you become a Christian, now you'll have all this inner strength. Let me tell you something, that's not how it works. Many people are frustrated with the fact that, that they've tried and tried and tried and, and it hasn't, they haven't been successful. You see, because Christianity is not about willpower, it's about will transformation. And will transformation does not occur until the Spirit of God comes into your heart, into your life. So if you come to church because you're looking for some sort of motivational, like, hey, I can be awesome type thing happening here, and you, and you want to be charged up and encouraged to go out and live a great life, and the words we say are going to help you do that, that only works if you let the Spirit of God come into your life, into your soul, to give you the power. And then what happens is this, your will begins to change. The things that once you, you hated to do, now you'll start to love to do. It's so awesome when we see that, isn't it? When we see people come to church, and we, we see you guys this way, so we know who's really here because they have to be, and who's really here because they want to be. And, and what's cool is when we see, you know, someone who makes that transition from, well, I was just drugged here with my family to be here, to, man, I just love being here. I want to worship God. It's awesome. It can happen. You know this to be true. I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who, who was doing his whole workout thing physically, and he's not a very disciplined person by nature. And I said, how is it that you're doing so well working out? He goes, you know, I stuck with it long enough to where I actually enjoyed going. I stuck with it long enough until it was like the highlight of my day until I, 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 I got energy from it rather than it took energy away from me. And I thought, there's a sermon there. Because the truth is, when it comes to your faith, you really do get out of it what you put into it in a certain sense, don't you? And, and if you're, you're drug kicking and screaming and, and, and into your faith and you just want to do the absolute least amount required, then guess what? Your salvation is going to feel pretty meaningless to you even if it exists at all. See, I think that's why the next verse where, where Paul talks about doing all things without grumbling and complaining is a big deal. Because let's just take this workout example. Let's say I go to my buddies for, for P90X and when the alarm goes off at, you know, the ungodly hour before five in the morning... And I have to stumble out, and I'm like, oh, I hate this, I don't want to go. Uh, and I get in the car, I drive over there, and I show up, and I'm like, oh, I suppose we have to do this. And then we begin to exercise, and I'm grumbling and fighting and complaining. Do you think I'm really going to experience any positive results? Probably not. Matter of fact, he's probably going to wind up telling me not to come back. Right? You see, if we, if we grumble and complain as believers at this process that God has, has put us in, then, then not only are we going to get nowhere, but we're going to take other people down with us. See, Paul says as you go through this process of working out your salvation, do it with a joyful heart. Do it with rejoicing. Because complaining is a terrible witness if you're a believer. 
There's nothing more frustrating to me than a miserable Christian. Oh, I love Jesus. You know, praise the Lord. Or even better, don't you even think about coming over here and talking to me, Pastor. You know, just keep your head down during the greeting time, right? I mean, when, when people are miserable and claim to know Christ and, and everything is woe is me and oh, my life this and all oh, that, you know, I mean, it's just a terrible witness. You see, Paul's writing from prison and he's saying, look, you've got to rejoice. You've got to find a way to, to understand that God's spirit is working in you. So because of that, regardless of your garbage in your life, find a way to rejoice because you have Christ. And when you recognize that you have Christ, then your will begins to change. And then you see God's spirit working in you. And then you start to see results. And then pretty soon, that thing about your faith that was most difficult becomes the thing that gives you the most energy and the most results. But you've got to work that out. You've got to get through it. You've got to power through it. You've got to put your man pants on. And you've got to just plow through it until it happens. And it will because the spirit of God is working in you. See, God has called us to be humble, hasn't he? We read that earlier in Mike's sermon last week and the week before about the humility of Christ. Let me tell you something. Humility and complaining do not mix, do they? You want to know what mixes with complaining? Pride. Pride. You want to know what mixes with humility? Love. We're called to be people of love. We're called to be people of joy. We're called to be people of righteousness who respond to the work that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives by working it out because it's a big deal. We're not to be the kind of Christians that just sit back and just wait for the will of God to happen and, and everything to go on and we just, we're just here. We're just here praising God. No, we're to work it out. We, we've got plans, right? We, we as a church, we, we need to, to capture this because God is doing a great thing in, in our church and we need to understand that we can have all the right consultants, we can have all the right prescriptions, we can have all the right committees and plans and staff and everything, but if it just sits right here and it doesn't get worked out, then what good is it? We've got to put some meat on this stuff. We've got to work it out both in, in, as a church and in our lives. And it's, it's important. You hear me talk a lot about this kind of stuff, about discerning God's will for us rather than deciding what it is because it can be so easy to get sidetracked, can't it? You know, first of all, life just gets in the way, doesn't it? You know, stuff happens. There's, there's bad situations or, or we're busy or whatever. A lot, a lot of things just get in the way. But secondly, our own personal wills get in the way. Our own personal preferences, our own internal desires get in the way. And then by the time that we mix a little bit of trying to please everybody in that mix, and then we, we try to not come off as, as weirdos to the rest of the world, and we want the culture to approve of us and all this kind of stuff, it's real easy for churches and in, even entire denominations to find themselves going down a track towards something completely other than what God intends. That's why we have to work this out with fear and trembling. We have to recognize that the transformation of our will is what's evidence of the inward working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So how are you doing with that? What's it like in your will? What do you desire to do? What do we desire to do? Now this isn't to imply that once you become a Christian and all this happens that you don't struggle. Because the Lord knows we all do, right? We all fight that fight. But we don't fight it with our own strength, we fight it with the strength of Christ who works in us. And that's important. And we have one another to rely on. We have one another to help us. 
And that's why we do what we do. We move forward. We move into this. So I'm going to ask you, has God worked in you? Have you let the Holy Spirit change you? Have you become part of God's family? Or are you still trying to work out what hasn't been worked in yet? Too many times we think that Christianity is some kind of belief in God and right living. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that even the demons believe, but they shudder. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that what's required is not just belief, but faith. And there's a big difference between belief and faith, isn't there? I can believe that I need to to do the right workouts and that I'll become healthier, but until I have faith that'll actually work, and by faith I put it into practice and trust in the process without grumbling or complaining, but give myself to it, that's what's going to make a difference. You can believe in God all you want. You can come to church, you can have communion, you can get baptized, you can sing your songs, you can give a big gift to the offering, you can have a window named after you. You, can, you name it, you can do it, but if it's not as a result of the working of the Spirit of God in you making you His, then ultimately it doesn't mean anything for you. Let the Spirit of God work in you. Respond to the grace of God. God has laid it out. He's offering you an invitation. He's saying, I've done the work. Let me come into you and work through you. Don't just try harder. Give it to me, Jesus would say. There's there's no greater example of that than on the night where Jesus was betrayed after after the Last Supper, which we'll celebrate here in a moment. Jesus was in the garden praying and, and he had so much fear and trembling, didn't he? That the Bible says that his sweat became like great drops of blood. And, and, and Simon Campbell, who plays guitar over here, his wife Laura works in the medical field. She gave me this really in-depth explanation of medically how that can physically happen to a person undergoing such trauma that their blood vessels can contract and expand until they burst within the sweat glands. This is what happened to Jesus with such great fear and trembling at the task laid before him. He prayed in the garden, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But here's the kicker. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And then he got up. And he looked across straight in the face and he walked into it. And I believe there was nothing in this universe that could have stopped him from going to that cross because his will was God's will. Your will must change. My will must change. Our will must change. We got to stop fighting against that and let God do the work in us. May today as we receive communion, May you recognize the awesome symbolism that takes place when you bring bread and juice into your body. Because in the same way that that nutrient works within you to give you the ability to work out, the Spirit of God works within you to give you the ability, to give us the ability to work it all out. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have given us your grace. You've given us your mercy. You've called us, Lord, to be a a humble people of love who submit to your will and honor you. Lord, we ask today that your spirit would work mightily within us, 
causing our minds to be united with yours, our desires to be united with yours, and ultimately our will to be united with yours. Father, forgive us for the rebellious wills that we may still hang on to from time to time. Forgive us for the places in our lives where we haven't agreed with you about what's right and what's good. Forgive us, Lord, for for bringing your will under our submission instead of submitting to your will. And Lord, let this opportunity to renew this covenant of, of holy communion with you today be a great act of faith on our part as a response to the grace which you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus, fitting metaphor, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks to God, and he broke it, and he didn't just tell his disciples, look at this. He didn't just say, this is my body broken for you, and then put it away, did he? He said, this is my body broken for you, now take it and eat it. Own it. Make it yours. Make it a part of your body. Make it be for you something that disappears within you, that there's nowhere to tell where it starts and you stop. Broken for you. After the supper was over, he took the cup, and in the same way, he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, now take and drink this from each, take and drink from this, each of you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the sins of many. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. As you come today to receive communion, know this, in the United Methodist Church, we practice what's called an open table. And that means simply this, you are invited to come and partake of this, of this celebration Regardless of age, regardless of church affiliation, the only thing that we would ask of you is that you would look within yourself and answer the question, am I ready to respond to the grace of God? Am I ready to take this bread and this juice into me and in doing so, take the will of Christ into me? If the answer to that is yes, then you are invited to come and do so with joy in your hearts because our God is is alive, and he saved us, and he's working within us so that we might shine as lights in this world. In Jesus' name. Give us just a second, and then as the Spirit leads you, you'll come forward and partake of the feast. Oh, Lord our God, we desire to go right to that place, a place right up into your arms. And so we ask, Lord, that having heard what we've heard today, knowing what we know today, let our will be transformed by you, and let us serve you always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Enjoy the day. Let's have some fun.